stress and stress is all around. And yet when I look at what's actually happening in their physiology and how they describe how they feel, I'm like, this isn't stress. Like you're actually talking about the trauma response in your body. And people, we just haven't been taught that there actually is a stress response and a trauma response. And so we just lump it all under stress. Welcome to the Menopause Mastery Podcast, a show for women just like you who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, living life with a purpose. I created this show because I knew that women just like me in this second season of life, the season of menopause, are really tapping into their deepest desires. And we're ready to harness our physical and mental health and explore what our true passions are and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what we want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking the complex science and making it easier to integrate into daily life. So let's join the journey to make this season the best ever. So Dr. Amy, you know, like I said in my introduction, I am excited about this conversation because I think you're going to bring a lot of clarity to every one of my listeners listeners about how they feel, the things that they experienced, and how to distinguish a lot of what goes on in our body that we sort of are, are kind of lost to, but it seems to drive our bus, you know, unconsciously. And so I'm excited about this conversation. So before we get into the nitty gritty of that, tell, tell my listeners a little bit about your story. Wow. Yeah. No, my story is not some that, something that I had planned. <laughs> and when I look back at my life, there was um, a moment in which I see that my life really started to take a different direction than what I had thought it was going to take. And I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, Washington State, came down to Southern California for medical school. And during medical school, I had just finished my master's in biochemistry, had a few months before I jumped back into the third year medical school rotations. And I decided to use that time to become a foster parent. And by the time they actually found a child to place, I was already back in rotations. But I get this phone call that you never forget the phone call. And you hear the voice on, on the other side of the phone telling you about this child that will become yours. And when they told me about Miguel, he was four years old. And the experiences that he had already had were such that it was an immediate yes for me. There was no hesitation. And I was sure that I could provide the stability for him that he had not ever had and provide him the love that he had never had. And I knew that with my love and stability and time, he would be, he would be fine. And he'd be able to rise above his childhood. And that's certainly what the social worker told me to. And so I went into it with a very different idea of how things were going to turn out. And what I discovered was that he was not getting better with time. And it was actually my love that was triggering him, not, not actually helping him feel better, but it was actually triggering him because of his past experiences with love from a mother figure and what that had ultimately meant for him, which was a very broken heart and a broken life. And I had to relearn, I would say unlearn. I had to unlearn so much of what I had thought I knew about trauma to then really be able to step into this place of, okay, Miguel, what is it that you need? What is it that you need in order for you to be able to rise above your childhood, not have that continue to drive your bus for the rest of your life and for you to be able to be happy. I want, I wanted so much for him to have at least some years of his childhood where he could look back and say, those 
were good years. Those were happy years. And the clock was ticking. He's growing up, he's growing older. And so I threw myself into figuring out what he needed. And in that process, Betty, like I, I mean, that's, that's where my life just completely started to take a new direction. Then I started to teach other parents what I had learned and started even a nonprofit and would run weekend family camps for other families who either had adopted or their children had had other forms of attachment trauma, maybe had been placed in the NICU when they were born or some type of clear separation. And we're still seeming to have effects from that. And so I started just to teach them what I had learned and loved it, absolutely loved it. And ultimately, Betty, that was what then shifted me out of traditional medicine. I had actually gone into a general surgery residency. I was still very much on that traditional path, thinking that that would be my life and left that in order to pursue and create a new field of medicine that didn't exist at the time. But I saw that it needed to exist. And for me, I called it at the time, trauma, attachment, and addictions. Because for me, like they all went together. And that's become my career. And certainly through that process, I got to experience my own health issues that required me to realize that I had issues, that I had traumas that I had never even seen as traumas because I was always comparing my life to someone's life like Miguel's. And when I looked at my life, I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Like I've, I've had it good compared to these. So I must not have trauma. And I was really missing the mark then for then what my body needed in order to get to my kind of apply it to my own healing journey. So that's, that's the short, the short summary of my journey and what ultimately has led me to focus in on bringing the biology of trauma piece to the field where we can look at and see the effects that trauma has had on the body, not just our mind, but our body and realize that we need to give the body what it needs to help the healing journey happen as well. You know, I, I wish that those of us that are in this field, and I would say everybody, don't, don't have traumatic and just rough experiences that bring us here, but obviously it's that, that going through that experience, is, you would have probably never ever thought through like, oh, I need to figure out this, how this happens in the body and what's really happening. And it's, it, it is one of those things, it's like, what do they say, the, you know, the beauty is in the mess and, and the pain. And so, you know, I applaud you for not only going through what you've gone through, but actually stepping in and going against the grain in an, in an environment that doesn't really like going against the grain. You know, medicine is, medicine is the Titanic. If you can imagine the Titanic being a thousand times larger than the boat actually was, it's just slow to move. So to really go through that and and um, live it, you know, and then come out and come out swinging and helping others is just huge. So I want you to explain because I think this is misunderstood. I would say I probably even in my deep understanding of biochemistry probably misunderstand this from time to time. Explain to my listeners what the difference is between what stress is and trauma. Yeah, that's a great question. And most people just look at their life and think that they are stressed. And they can look at different things that are stressing them out. Or if they feel stressed, then they look for things that are possibly stressing them out. And we are a nation. We are a world that is stressed out. The statistics are pretty bleak when it comes to the number of people who believe that they are stressed and what they see as they're already experiencing health symptoms as a result of stress. So we talk about stress and stress is all around. And yet when I look at what's actually happening in their physiology and how they describe how they feel, I'm like, this isn't stress. Like you're actually talking about 
the trauma response in your body. And people, we just haven't been taught that there actually is a stress response and a trauma response. And so we just lump it all under stress. But one of the ways in which I can easily tell the difference in my body is when I imagine myself holding up a rock. And when you imagine yourself holding up a rock, it's like you're going to hold up a rock up above your head. And sometimes this is one big rock. Maybe it's something that you're going through. That's one big thing. And other times it's several rocks and life has just thrown you several rocks and you're trying to hold and juggle several rocks above your head. And as long as you're figuring out how to do it, as long as you're actually holding those rocks up above your head, yeah, you're sweating, your muscles are tired and, and yet you're doing it. You're somehow figuring out how to do it. That is the stress response. When we think of a, a situation like a, a first responder might be in where there's a danger, maybe there's a fire, maybe there's an accident, whatever it is. And the, and the, the, the responder is actually rushing towards the scene. This is when they are taking action. They are in movement. And that's a big piece of the stress response is that the adrenaline actually moves us to take action. And so when we see that a person is in stress response, we see them actively taking action for the problems in their life, for whatever that rock or rocks are that they're holding above their head. Are they figuring it out? But Betty, there comes a moment in which that rock or rocks becomes too heavy or becomes too much and you can't hold it up anymore. And just that sensation of, okay, this is now crushing me. This is now falling down. Pieces are falling apart. I'm falling apart. That now is a very different physiology in our body. We're no longer in that high energy. I'm figuring this out, even though it's hard and it's stretching me. I'm now in a physiology of, no, I can't do this anymore. And I'm, I shouldn't even try anymore because if I can't hold these rocks up, why should I spend my energy even trying? And so the body literally goes into this sensation of heaviness and we can have thoughts of, I, I give up. What's the point? And we can have these different thoughts and sensations. And that's the physiology of the trauma response. And so one word that I like to interchange for trauma to help people understand the difference is overwhelm. Trauma is feeling overwhelmed. And many times that overwhelm leads us to a place of we're just we're just sitting there, like staring at the mountain in front of us, overwhelmed by the size of it. And so not even trying. Whereas the stress response would be looking at the size of the mountain and being like, oh, shit, how am I going to do this? But you figure it out and you try and you get bruised and bloodied and, you know, uh, you, you sweaty and and and. But yet you're doing it like you're actually figuring out how do I scale this mountain that's in front of me? And so that's the difference between stress and trauma. Stress is actually taking action. It's a very high energy state. It's that firefighter who's rushing towards the fire and can do some pretty miraculous superhuman feats because of the energy that's fueling that stress response. And then in a moment of time, and it can feel like a split second where you go from, wow, what is that? Oh my goodness, that looks big to that looks too big. And you just feel your body shutting down and you're staring at the problem rather than taking action for the problem. So. So if I'm hearing you say that correctly, just being in a heavy duty state of stress response, right? Life's in the way, maybe we had pandemic, maybe, 
you know, got laid off, all the other thousands of things that's probably happened to everybody over the last three years, that in itself becomes a trauma experience. That's exactly what I'm saying. It becomes a trauma experience of the body. And there's specific physiology changes that happen with a trauma response and certain downstream effects on our health, on our biology, on our biochemistry, when the body has a trauma experience. But there are two triggers for that trauma experience. One would be too much too fast. And I'm sure we can all think back on our life at a time when it felt like just there were too many things coming at us too fast. This is where I imagine like somebody throwing, you know, tennis balls at me. And as long as they throw one at a time, I can catch them. But as soon as they start throwing two at a time, three at a time, four at a time, I'm like, ah, like I just, you know, like I cover my head and I, and I just kind of, kind of go down into this posture of, of shutting down as the balls just hit me because I, I can't keep up with catching all the balls. So too much too fast is one type of trigger for the trauma response. And the other trigger is too little for too long. And this might be a lot of what happened in the pandemic is too little of connection, too little of touch, too little of support, too little of whatever we need. And that will cause a trauma experience. And so many times we feel alone and that can be a reason for a trauma experience when other when another person who has support, maybe they have a family member, maybe they have a partner, maybe they have a mentor, but they feel like they have support. They don't feel like they're going through something alone. And for them, it never becomes a trauma experience. For them, it stays a stress. And so that idea of if I don't have enough support, if I don't have enough resources, a stress will become a trauma experience for my body. And I need to learn how to support my body through this process, even in the recovery process to get it back to a place of health. Wow. So obviously these things can compound, right? So yes. depending on our life experiences, you know, we have the checklists in medicine that have been studied over and over and over again, the, you know, lifetime experiences of trauma. So obviously these things sort of stack. So, so talk a little bit about that, because obviously we're going back to, I guess we could go into prenatal and epigenetics and all of that. But the reality is, is, is depending on somebody's experiences and their generational experiences, these could add up and add up very quickly. You can go as far back as you want, right? This is where we can even bring in generational trauma to the conversation and the compounded effect of that. Plus, as you mentioned, the in utero experience and everything that has happened because all of all of our life experiences get recorded in our body this is called implicit memory and we have explicit memory that happens in our brain where we can remember facts we can remember images but there's an implicit memory of our body that has recorded all of our life experiences and as we go through it's recording oh that was an overwhelming experience that was another overwhelming experience. And Betty, the more overwhelming experiences that we have, our body starts to go chronically into this place of just shut down and everything feels too hard. Everything feels too big. I always feel alone. I always feel like I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough support. And the list can go on and on for how we feel that we are still always living in this place of too little for too long. And so it very much accumulates until we get what we can even talk about as a, a burden on the body. And the, the burden is like the body is carrying around all of these heavy memories that keep it in this place 
of overwhelm. And what I find, Betty, is that when people are chronically living from this place of overwhelm, which again, overwhelm, trauma response, whichever words you want to use now, but when a person is chronically living from this place, physiology of overwhelm, they will actually need coping mechanisms to generate adrenaline to give them enough energy to pull themselves out of that low energy state and get stuff done before they crash at the end of the day. And the longer you go, the more this accumulates, the earlier those crashes start to happen. Now it's not just at bedtime. Now it's just as soon as you get home from work and you just want to sit on the couch and you don't want your family to be around you. You kind of snap at them being like, leave me alone. I'm tired. And you're not fully present and you just want to do mindless things. So you, maybe you turn on the TV and just mindlessly, mindlessly, because you don't have energy to actually be mindful about anything. And then you notice yourself crashing even in the mid-afternoon and now by lunchtime. And so it starts to accumulate and we can start to notice these things. And hopefully you notice them before I started to finally pay attention. I had to wait until my body fully, fully crashed for me to be like, oh, I guess I should be listening to my body. But we can notice these signs of a progressive accumulation of living in this place of overwhelm and actually needing to stress ourselves out, maybe needing that cup of coffee or that second cup of coffee, or maybe needing to procrastinate or maybe needing to wait until the last minute to just get out of bed in the morning because we wake up not wanting to get up. We're waking up in the trauma response and then we actually have to create stress make ourselves late. And now I have to rush. And that gives me the adrenaline that I need to actually have the energy to, to get things done. Okay. So, so if somebody were to be, you know, sitting and listening to this and they're trying to examine, obviously they may feel moments of overwhelm and other stuff. What are some very key things they could notice in their physiology that they could go, okay, beyond just the feeling tired, because somebody's probably gonna come up and go, well, I feel tired all the time. And I felt this way my entire life. What other things could they look for in their physiology? Yeah, so when the body goes into a trauma physiology response, there are a number of things that will happen. It will shut down the digestive system. And so you may notice yourself more, uh, I wanna say more sensitive to different foods, but you may not be paying attention to that. So if you're not paying attention to that, then you may experience um, constipation or diarrhea or just some upset, just pain bloated, but your GI system is often affected in this trauma response physiology. Your brain is also affected. So one of the things that happens with this trauma response is inflammation in your brain. And so you will start to feel brain fog perhaps, but you may also notice the decision fatigue where small decisions are just like, can someone else decide that? Can someone else decide what we're going to have for dinner tonight? Can someone else decide what clothes I'm going to wear today. Can someone else decide these small things that normally wouldn't seem to take much energy, but now like, I just don't want to make decisions. And then we can notice that our sleep is off. So in the trauma response, yes, we definitely have fatigue and exhaustion and heaviness because it does shut down our mitochondria. It shuts down our cells because we're supposed to be conserving energy right now. And we can feel like we need to take naps. And we can feel like even when we are sleeping and resting, we're not waking up feeling rested. We're not getting restorative sleep. And so we can notice all of these things about our sleep, our digestive system, our brain. 
And then just kind of that feeling of emptiness where we're, we're going through the motions, but we're not experiencing the joy of life. We, we can all also feel a little disconnected from people. And so it's like, we can be in a crowd, we can be surrounded by people, whether it's our coworkers or family, and yet we don't feel like we're connected with them. We, we feel, we still feel alone and we feel like we're somehow distanced from them. And we can feel like we're um, maybe sort of in a different world or just kind of, again, going, going through the motions of life without the, the zest and the, the joy and, and those moments of just pure happiness and connection with ourselves or with another human being. Okay. So I think the big, you know, take home message for anybody really listening to this is that, you know, the perception of you have to have some big trauma, right? Some horrible life experience. And I don't even have to list those off. Everybody's got their own picture of what that might be. And that's what shows up as trauma. But it, it can be just that there's too many balls being thrown at you at once. And your physiology is going to show it. And so it's obviously a gigantic player in chronic disease and addictions. Whether you're hitting Amazon late at night when you can't sleep or you have to have a glass of wine just to get dinner started. Yes. And these are things that we can notice and hopefully become curious about. Be like, why, why do I do this? What's behind this? What's driving this? And those kinds of questions will always lead us to this place of, I'm trying to help myself feel better. And I don't know any other way to do it. My body has gone into this place where it feels anxious. It feels like it can't wind down. It feels like it can't relax or maybe relaxing is uncomfortable. And so I actually have to drink some alcohol to relax and be okay relaxing. And just being able to be curious about why am I doing this? Why do I think I might be mindlessly scrolling through social media, even though I've made the commitment to not be on social media at all. <laughs> we can have all of these things where we get curious about why am I actually doing this? What might be driving this? And what does this inform me about kind of the experiences that my body is having and accumulating over time that it would be best for me to deal with them now than when they've become a diagnosed chronic condition? Yeah, so I have a, a kind of a weird question, but it, you know, it comes up for me because a lot of times, you know, I'm just thinking back to my conversations with patients over the last 20 years. And I have found a lot of people will go, well, this runs in my family, you know, my uncle, my brother, my sister, my cousin, my friends, cousins, mothers, brothers, whoever have this issue, right? Alcoholism, this, that or whatever. And that we tend to sort of hang on to as, as this is kind of how I'm wired. This is what has happened to me. What do you, because I'm sure that, that all the people that you work with across the world now in your biology of trauma programs, what do you, what do you do with that? Because it's, it's, um, I, you know, I sort of listen to it and I go, yes, that's our generational trauma, but we don't have to carry that bag anymore. So tell me about that too. Yeah, this is a big theme that I talk about in the biology of trauma modules where we look at this is, this is really the body going into a trauma response. And that trauma response can be passed on and it's passed on through a number of things. It's passed on through our biology and we can look at epigenetics as a, a mechanism for how that's actually passed on. But it's not just that, because when we look at something like autoimmunity and pick any autoimmune condition, we have certain things that are required for someone to develop an autoimmune condition themselves. And part of that is that they do have to have this internal dislike of themselves. 
they also have to have developed some uh, leaky gut and that inflammation in the gut. And so we, we look at, wait a second, it's never just our genetics. It's never just our leaky gut. It's always this combination of our biology and our life experiences and even how our life experiences become our biology. And so autoimmunity is one of those conditions that is strongly associated with the trauma response. And in fact, a trauma response that started early in life. And so then we get to look at how else might this have been passed on? And we know that a parent's nervous system is passed on to their children, how they deal with stress or don't deal with stress, how they deal with conflict or choose not to deal with conflict, how they, all of that, that's actually is what they pass on to their children because they can't pass on anything that they don't have. They, they pass on what they have, which again, kind of stresses the importance of a parent doing their own work to be able to pass on the best nervous system that they can to their children. But then that would be how this is passed on in families. And this runs in my family. Yes, it runs in your family to avoid conflict and people please. But that doesn't mean it's genetic. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, I'm glad you kind of clarified that because I think, you know, I'm, I'm adopted, so I don't know anything about my biological parents other than I've done an, an incredible amount of genetics work. So I know kind of how I'm supposed to be wired, but I've never met them. I don't know the story. You know, I know I was in NICU, I was early and all of those kind of things, you know, but it's, but it becomes very easy to kind of go, oh, this is just it, you know, I, I, I like, I think it's actually advantageous that I don't know because I can't, I can't use that as sort of like, I'm looking at my family, so this must be how I am because it just is, you know, and I've got the other side that is nurture, which is the family that adopted me and all the experiences up until this moment. But, but I, yeah, it is an interesting thing to be on this side and not have all that history because it, it takes away that one piece that becomes very easy to fall back on as, a, as an excuse, but it's an excuse we're taught. Very much so. And it was, I mean, I was even taught this in medical school. I mean, that's how deep this teaching goes is that these conditions are purely genetic and that's our traditional model of medicine, right? Like we need a specific cause, which then gives us a specific diagnosis, which then gives us a specific medication. Like it's, it's, it's a, that is the traditional model. And so for you, yes, like there definitely would be that value of, I don't know what my biological family history is. And so it leaves it an open slate for you to then not be able to attach and, and already know like, oh, I'm probably going to get this because I know this runs in my family. And yet I also imagine that the experience of adoption and being in the NICU, I mean, I would love to have that conversation with you someday of what, what, what was, what was it like to kind of process that? And have you seen different aspects of yourself, maybe different um, beliefs or thought processes that you maybe realize that you've needed to work through that you think might have come from those experiences of being in the NICU and being poked and, and hurt without your permission and without being able to do anything about it. So there's, yeah, there's just so much there. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause you know, I, I don't, of course I don't have any real memory that I could voice. I mean, obviously my body has a physical memory of being in the NICU and, you know, all those things. I've, I've attached a story to that, of course, cause it makes it more interesting, but, um, you know, but you could probably look at some of my early, even early childhood behaviors of how I acted. You know, because I'm very much not like my adoptive family, right? Personality-wise, <laughs> you 
And I was very much like my way or the highway. This is, you know, I was very fiercely independent and also aggressively independent. Like I was mm-hmm. not going to, if I didn't want to do what you wanted me to do, I was like, nope, not going to happen. So I'm like, you know, how much of that was from those early experiences? And that's like a learned sort of, you know, cellular memory of I'm alone in this. So I have to kind of, pardon me, kick ass on my own because <laughs> because I don't have somebody cuddling me. You know, that's Nick here. You don't get cuddled. Maybe a little bit more today. But back then, you know, my, I had internalized it. I was sitting in an oven you know, free baking for a couple more months. <laughs> you know, that's how I internalize that as a little kid. So, you know, there's probably so much there, but I think I can look at it too and go, because I don't have all those other pieces, um, I chose to look at that experience as a positive because my parents fought for my adoption, right? Where a lot of people may not experience that experience of being put up for adoption, but I chose to attach to the story that the people that adopted me had to work hard, you know, real hard to get me. So, yeah, it's just an interesting paradigm. It'd be one of those things that just to unpack for a couple hours would probably be really interesting, which is a whole nother conversation for another, another world. So I want to I want to circle back since we sort of digressed, but it was probably interesting, maybe just to me, who knows? So so what are the three major ingredients to heal trauma? Right. So now that we know it's mm-hmm. cellular, it's biological, it's experiential and it adds up over time. How do we how do we go about starting this process? I mean, I started the process completely wrong and I feel like I've done everything wrong that's possible to do wrong on a trauma healing journey and starting with my son, unfortunately, and just not knowing better, I started off completely wrong. So what I've learned along the way is that an integrative, holistic approach is absolutely necessary for trauma healing. And what I would love to see in the vision that I have is that trauma work becomes just that. It doesn't just become, well, I think you should go see a therapist and talk about it. But no, it actually becomes a very holistic, integrative, comprehensive approach where we're bringing the body into the equation and actually aligning ourselves with our body rather than trying to push our body through a therapy process perhaps or something that it it still doesn't feel comfortable with and it doesn't feel safe and we're not addressing the implicit memories of our body, nor how trauma has affected our biology and now keeps us stuck in that trauma response. So as a holistic approach, as an integrative approach, I have found through experimenting that there are three essential elements to that program. And one of the essential elements is some type of mind-body connection. Now, I have chosen somatic experiencing or what I uh, call somatic work because it hasn't just been somatic experiencing that I've learned along the way but it allows for a very specific type of mind-body connection that's not just like, oh, feel your body and connect with your heart, but it actually is teaching a person how to complete a trauma response so that when they have a trigger, they can actually move all the way through it and not continue to accumulate trauma or accumulate stress as they go through life. And then that allows them to even be able to process old stuff So we need to both stop the progression of new stuff accumulating and then, and then later on, then be able to start to process some old stuff. But we can do so much of that on our own or within a safe community who's around us, as long as we have those tools and somatic work gives us those types of tools. Another piece that I have found essential, which may surprise some people, but I have found it absolutely essential And that's to bring in some kind of parts work. By parts work, I mean that there are different parts of us. And you may have heard of like your inner child or your inner critic. 
those are two different parts of us. And there are, I mean, I would say that most people have well over 20 different parts of them. They just haven't recognized all of the different parts of them. But there are all these different parts of us that have different fears, have different beliefs, have different wants, have different needs. And it can feel like an internal battle that happens. And literally, we can have a conversation in our head that we criticize ourselves and then we answer back. And it's like, wait, who's talking and who's answering back? These are different parts of us. And the power of being able to align those, Betty, and actually get them all on the same team and that inner freedom and peace that comes when we do that really also helps to shift our biology. And the biology would be the third essential piece. So many people have focused on the therapy side of things and we have to bring in the biology piece for the trauma work for it to be this integrative and holistic approach, looking at how are your mitochondria? How is your detoxification system? What can we do to support your digestive system? What about that brain inflammation? How are the hormones? We need to look at these things because if we don't, those are the pieces. The biology will be the piece that actually keeps our bodies stuck in a trauma response, no matter how much therapy we do with the other pieces. Yeah, you know, we've, um, in my clinic, we've had therapy our entire time we've been open. And it's very interesting because we have a very proactive sort of stance. I'm always like, okay, we've got a river. We need to work on crossing the river, right? And I play the role on the biochemistry side. But, it, but, but I do know of lots and lots of people, and I'm sure with the hundreds and thousands of people that have gone through your programs, people get in therapy and they never get out. They never get out, Betty. Yeah, and it was like, to me, like, having gone through a lot of things in my life, just like anybody else, like, I, it's re-traumatizing to me if I'm just talking about it constantly and I don't, don't go back and close that loop. So I want to go back to that because I think it's really important that there is a physiological response that our body, physiology, emotional status, chemistry, and everything else are supposed to complete that circle. Yes. And talk about that because humans, we have the ability to intercept that other animals don't really do. Right. Well, and animals do this instinctively. They don't need to think about it and they don't need to go to therapy about it, which is interesting. But stress is not the problem. Trauma is not the problem. It's the inability to complete those responses that is the problem. And when the body is not able to complete it, it accumulates the charge of that, if you want to call it that. You, it accumulates the damage from that. And it, it accumulates all of these responses that it's never been able to complete. And so when we learn how to complete a stress response, when we learn how to complete a trauma response, what are those specific steps that I'm supposed to do when I get stressed, when I have a trigger, when I'm going through something really hard and I have that moment of I'm feeling my body shut down and going to that overwhelmed place. There are specific things that, that we need to do that we could do to actually complete that and let the body come back to the parasympathetic state and that state of Oh, like I'm okay. Everything is going to be okay. And I truly feel that and know that on a visceral level. That's not just something that I'm trying to convince myself of because the brain can have one idea and the body can have a very different idea. And what drives our life is our body, not our brain. And I think that the, the, a classic example of that would be for someone who's trying to stop overeating or emotional eating right? Or going on a diet. And how many times has their brain decided we will never do that again? We will never eat chocolate again. We will never buy ice cream again. And the list can go on. 
And yet what happens the next time at your at the store? You're passing the ice cream session, uh, section and you're like, ah, oh, okay, just this once, just one last time. And you buy the ice cream that your brain decided, no, we were never gonna do that. So what actually drives our life is our body. And when our body has all of this accumulated stress and trauma, and it's trying to just get through life in a way, get through life in a way that it can survive, that's what will be driving our decisions, our behaviors, and we will come to hate ourselves because we see that we really don't have as much control over our life as we would want. But it's just because our body is dealing with accumulation of stress and trauma, and we haven't known how to complete those responses and actually be able to bring it back to a place of, of health. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's funny because I don't think there's anybody that doesn't have you know, some level of this going on at any given time. I, you know, I have this one guy client who's always like, I don't have anything wrong with me. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Just by saying that, I know that there's something wrong. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, do people don't pay to come see me because everything's peachy keen and, and perfect, you know, right. and even if you're looking for protection for uh, perfection, there's always this next level, right? So, so we all have some degree of this and you've actually outlined kind of how do we, how do we take those proactive steps to sort of heal these traumas and also heal our biology so we can heal heal our psychology at the same time right yes so. exactly aligning our body in that in that healing process and not just trying to focus on the mind exactly exactly so i i would like for you to share where our clients can get information about you the people listening to menopause mastery where they can find out more and then i know you've got an so if if y'all are listening right when this comes out we've got an upcoming summit so let's talk about those because those are really important Absolutely. So what I've put together is a roadmap for people to help know if their body has stored trauma. And so I've put together a guide that's the steps to identify and heal trauma so that we're starting with just, do I have stored trauma in my body? I've heard Dr. Amy talk. Some of it relates. I think maybe, I don't know. And so this would be the guide. And I actually have an assessment in that in that roadmap that they can look at and see, these are some of the specific ways I can know if my body has stored trauma. And I will say that because of the shifts in our hormones and our biochemistry around menopause, that is a perfect time to actually start doing trauma work. It's like the body is more open to work at that time because of those shifts. So that would be a guide that people are welcome to download and, and look through and learn how to identify. And then what are the steps to heal trauma that I'm looking at if I've recognized that, yes, my body also, like everyone else, has some stored trauma. And then I have put together an online virtual summit. And this is airing August 1 through 7. I've interviewed almost 50 experts in the different areas of trauma and functional medicine, kind of bringing all of this together, right? Like those three pieces that I talked about, the biology, the somatic work and the parts work. And so this is airing August one through seven, and it is a free summit for people to be able to attend and start to hear the different connections with the different symptoms, syndromes, diagnoses, whatever conditions that they might be having or being able to start to recognize, again, just become aware and recognize is this something that my body is dealing with that, that I know that, okay, this is, this is something that I want to add to my healing journey that will actually make a big difference and help me immensely with my physical health and emotional and mental health to be able to know how to approach trauma work and, and in the right way so that I'm doing it, helping my body and not just focused on my mind. 
You know, I'm glad you walked through that and especially mentioned the fact that women in this particularly t- this time period of life, that this is the time not only hormonally, you know, if we look at sort of the transition that happens in particularly traditional societies, you know, really looking at the menopause transition as is like a we become a wise sage and, you know, Western world is kind of like you become dried up and individual or I'm sorry, in, invisible. Um, you know, that's that's a, a societal cultural thing that we do. But but we not only have this biochemical thing happening in our body that allows us to sort of open up and access this. But I think for a lot of women, especially this is the first time in decades that when we get on this side that we have a moment where we can actually look at our own stuff and examine our own trauma and stress and other things. And so you're right. It's a perfect time to sort of examine these things because I, I believe on the other side of it, when we've done some of this hard work, the dreams, aspirations, legacy, all those things that we want to leave that we probably started with as dreams as a little girl are there. But often if we can work through these things, they're very accessible. So, you know, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. I mean, Betty, have you ever seen one woman who's reached the age of menopause who has not had trauma? Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> I'm like, did they have trauma on the way to my office? <laughs> getting getting on the Zoom call, you know, I was tra- traumatized by my technology. So yeah, we all have it. That's the we thing. All we all have it. We all have it. And it all depends on all these different parts, but we have the tools if we spend time with Dr. Amy and go to her summit and download the freebie and engage and get access to the the actual healing process that we can actually heal that so we'll have all those links in the show notes so people can go and download the free tool to see how much that may be playing a role and obviously get on the summit if you're listening to this when the summit's available definitely register so you can get access to it while it's playing yeah i i I would want people to just see this as a, a massive opportunity for a different way of living life that trauma work does not need to be this taboo thing that's shameful, that makes you a weak person, but actually it can look very different than traditional therapy. It can just be a way of life of learning how to work with your body and understand what your body is going through and completing responses as you go through life so that we're not accumulating more and more and more. Yes. Yes. Well, Amy, I'm so glad to have had you on and talked about this and gone deeper into what trauma is. Amy Amy and I are friends and we actually saw each other, what, about a week ago? It was great. A week ago. We live on opposite parts of the country, so being able to connect in person was fabulous. So I'm excited to be able to interview and talk, talk so much about trauma and stress and all those pieces. All of those pieces that that uh, maybe are uncomfortable for some people and yet we love we love to talk about it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We do. Well, awesome. Well, thank you, Amy, for being on the show and, and sharing your wisdom with Menopause Mastery and there are all of our listeners. Thank you so much, Betty. Thank you. So today on Menopause Mastery, I am actually talking with a good friend of mine, Dr. Amy Apegian. Dr. Amy is a former foster mom, adoptive mom, and a general surgery resident. She's also dub- double board certified physician in preventative and addiction medicine, and she has a double master's in both biochemistry and public health. And really what she does now is bridge the world of functional medicine, neuroscience, and trauma work to create online educational and experiential programs for individuals around the world to accelerate their trauma healing journey and teach professionals through her certification programs how to do the same for their patients and clients. So today we talked all about, you know, really what is the biology of trauma? 
and and because and how to really look at it in an understanding of the difference between stress and trauma and how stress and trauma actually also commingle because i believe that this is something that is very confusing to a lot of us uh, we also talked a lot about how to really understand and recognize the unresolved stored trauma both big t trauma and little t trauma in your life and then Dr. Amy goes into a lot of details on what are the three ingredients that you have to have to heal trauma in the biology, the body, the psyche, the emotions, and what to do about it. And so you're going to love this interview today. Absolutely love it. The other thing is, is you can find Dr. Amy on YouTube, Instagram, her website, the traumahealingaccelerated.com. And she has free educational content. All of that information is shared in the show notes with you. And really to let you know if you have stored trauma in your body and then what to do about it. So thank you for joining me on Menopause Mastery. Let's chit chat with Dr. Amy. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Menopause Mastery podcast. You are why I'm here and I am so very grateful. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode has helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD and you can reach me online at BettyMurray.com. 